tell you what, what we'll do is we'll just a tiny bit of review. Last week, what we ended with was really the beginning of the topic for this week. So last week we mentioned that Rav Hirsch defined a beged, meaning a garment, but there are many words for beged, but the one that's a beged, as a garment which presents people in their outer appearance. So today, today's topic, like I said, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous, so we'll like we'll learn it together. I have my sources here, you know. <laughs> um, nervous in the sense that it's like one of these like very borderline kinds of topics in terms of how you talk about it. I'm definitely not, I'm not learned. I don't, I have no familiarity with the Gemara, with the postgim, even in the, in the, uh, I was going to say simple, that's the wrong word, even in the kinds of things that are logically worked through in the Gemara, let alone, you know, Agatatan, that which is more Kabbalistic. So I'm just going to share with you sources which I have found they're shared in more open. Oh, Are you sharing this paper? I'm sharing paper and sources both. Okay. <laughs> um, there are a lot of sources that are there that, that do know what they're talking about and sort of represent them for us. You know, so if I open, <coughs> excuse me, a Rav Schwab on prayer, where Rav Schwab was, of course, a very great rabbi and a great Talmud Chacham, and he's familiar with the original sources, and then he synthesizes it and explains it. That's what I'm going to be sharing. Obviously, I myself am not looking into the first sources very rarely, or once in a while I'll go just to get the language, but it's not like I can't, I can't learn those things, and I certainly am not competent to interpret them. So what I'm sharing will be the interpretations that are coming elsewhere, and I, everything will be sourced. But the topic is... Um, to delve a little bit deeper into this idea of the role of clothing, not in sneas, which was a little bit more what we spoke about, let's call that the surface level, right, literally, but with the role of clothing in revealing the inner self, the inner self, like the more spiritual side in that relationship. And that was hinted to in what we ended with last time, that the, the clothing is that which, I find out again, which presents people in their outward appearance. So it's a choice we make in what we put on the outside, but we are choosing it in order to present to the rest of the world how we want to be related to. The last two weeks, I don't know if you heard the recordings, uh, last week's is not up yet, so we you could not possibly have. Oh, okay. Israel. Oh, that's right, you were away. Yeah, so really so you'll you'll be interested cause just because you have big girls. So we talked a lot about it. Sneas came up. It wasn't the topic. We're talking about Malbi Sharumim, God dressing the naked. So it's difficult to avoid altogether. But it's a really it's the foundation of ideas of sneas that have nothing to do with sexuality per se. Hey, how are you? Okay, so those those are what we did speak about. The I, we could sum it up as saying. The principle of tzniyas and clothing is you show people that which you wish them to look at. You want people to look at you and relate to you according to your face and your hands. Your face being panim, that which shows what is bifnim. It's the part of you that shows what's inside. And your hands, which is what shows your accomplishments, what you're working on and what you're doing. That's what you want people to relate to. Okay. So now we're going to 
<clears throat> go forward. And we, the word beged, which is a garment, also is related to the word boged, the same letters, which is a traitor. A traitor is somebody who pretends to be that which he is not. He disguises himself. He chooses clothing to show you who he is, except it isn't who he is. It's somebody else. It's who he wants you to think he is. Right? So a traitor is somebody who chooses clothing uh, dishonestly, shall we say. It's like a costume. Right. But, but if you think about a traitor, a traitor might not actually wear different clothing. Right? It might be sort of the way they clothe themselves in behavior. Right? It's not only the clothes, uh -huh. but that's why the word bogade is uh -huh. a traitor. Okay. Why does the word bogade have anything to do with clothing? It's because in the same way, when you dress yourself, you are making a conscious choice, a fairly conscious choice, <laughs> hopefully conscious, as to how you want other people to relate to you. What aspect of yourself are you showing to them? A traitor does that very consciously, except that what they're choosing to show is not what they really are. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the traitorous aspect. Okay. Rav Pincus says, he, quote, he quotes a Gemara in Bavakama, Erom en lo boshes. Okay, now we said malbish arumim. So you see how what we're doing here is we're working, <laughs> we spent a lot of time on malbish, and now we're working more toward arumim. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a room, a room we said was, was someone who is naked or unclothed. I don't know if you caught it when we read from Boratius before about the clothing. You saw that that word was there, really. Right? So what did it mean there? It meant, let's see. It meant two things. At least that's what it looked like. First, v'hanachash, this is the introduction of the snake, v'hanachash haya arum mikol chayas hasadeh, which kind of makes it sound like he was nakeder than the other animals, which is like, what? Okay, I guess they don't have hair, but it, that's not what it means. If you know the traditional translation, what does it mean? But it's deceptive. Deceptive, right. He was sneakier, just more deceptive, right. more wily, right? But you hear, it's the same word. I have sources here that really take this deeply, but it's definitely beyond my ability to understand, interpret, or give over. So, okay. So that's the first place we see this word. And it means something to do with being smart, but it's smart in a dishonest way, right? Rashi says, Why is the Torah telling me this here? You could tell the whole story and leave that half a sentence out and just start with, Probably in your own mind, you mostly tell yourself the story that way. Why is the Torah telling us that the Nachash was more arum from all other animals? In fact, he says, you know what it, sh what it correlates to? It, uh, he says, why is it here? It should be next to the thing it goes with. Well, what's the thing it goes with? Arum is naked. Arum is naked. arumim. Thank you, God, for dressing the naked. But here it said he was, that the snake was arum, and we understand that it means, like, clever in a negative way, sly, 
It's almost like Sneaky. a double negative in a way. No, like he's not clothed with anything. He's naked, and then when you say he's more naked, yeah, that's interesting. It doesn't, yeah, like what else? Okay, so the truth is the Gra does talk about it. He, I, I don't understand exactly, so I just don't. Like he, he says that it has to do with how the snake utilized the natural instincts. Animals have all kinds of knowledge, mm -hmm. but it's embedded in them. God gave it to them naturally. And that has to do with the it's why the snake is somehow being contrasted with all other animals that God created. There's something here about how the snake is using the natural uh, instincts. You know, that animals have a lot of knowledge, but it's implanted through instinct. It's not necessarily through trial and error, and it's certainly not usually through communication with other animals who have had negative experiences, you know, so you could learn from their experiences. But I don't understand it. What Rashi says is, what this really goes with is, is the end of the chapter. And God made for Adam and his wife clothing garments of skins and dressed them. Rashi thinks that's obvious that those go together. <laughs> right? The snake is very naked. And the ending is God dressed man and woman. Like I said, I'm not going to pretend we'll get like full, full clarity mm -hmm. on this, but at least we could appreciate the issue here. The issue here is that the beginning of the story of the sin and the end of the story are bracketing that this is all about how clothed you are or unclothed you are. Okay, that much we could, we could definitely see here, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it's actually in the middle as well, because, and God called out to the man and said, where are you? And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, ki erom anochi, because I'm bare, and I hid. And Hashem said, who told you, ki erom ata? Who told you you're bare? And then they get the results <laughs> of their tests, which were not the results they were hoping for, mm -hmm. and God clothed them. So it, it does, and at the very least, let's say reframe this whole thing, even if we don't understand it exactly. Well, I mean, these are the deepest secrets. This is the origins of all mankind and our relationship with God. It's okay if we don't get it 100%, right? But there's something here that we need to explore. There's some idea here that the Torah is pointing us to by using these words. And when the, right, we've said in the past, a word is a combination of letters that describes the spiritual root of a physical reality. So a word describes a specific idea, a specific spiritual reality. When you have different words, they're describing something different. There's no such thing as a pure synonym in Hebrew, not in the Torah. That's why Rav Hirsch will say, well, what's the, the difference? <laughs> Is that because we're not moving? Or just because the lights went out? It, it sounds like the air conditioner went off, too. Oh. Just because you walked and triggered yes, it? or yeah. yes. <laughs> The Is motion sensor. Like, we're all sitting so still. It's both. This uh, room has switches, but it's also a motion sensor. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Is, uh, maybe that's the motion there? Yeah. 
So Rav Hirsch explains, beged is one thing, and simla is another thing, and kisus is another thing, right? Uh, levush, the, each of these has a different aspect that it's expressing. The fact that there's a different word means there's something different about what it describes. That also means that when you have the same word used, the same concept is somehow being referred to in the Torah. Mm -hmm. That's the power. I mean, it's like the ultimate original hyperlinking system because when you see a word and you've seen that word somewhere else, the Torah is telling you something about the same idea. That's why it's the same word. So here we have... It's, it's mind-blowing. Okay. And it can be literally mind-blowing, which is why we wouldn't want to try and get farther into something Kabbalistic that we're really competent to tolerate, right? I've said, like, you know, spirituality, you have, to, you have to know when to stop. You have to know how far you can go and where you're up to. Because there's no, it's overload, you know. It is overload. All right. This far, I think we're safe in going. <laughs> we're looking at the pshat. We're looking at the simple words, right? The snake was a room. Man eats from the tree and says, I was afraid because I am a room and Hashem clothed them. And Rashi, in fact, points us to that Pasuk, so he thought it was safe for us to, to go that far. Now, what Rashi goes on to say is that the source of all of this sin is, is saying what this tells us is the motivation of the snake. Now, the truth is, when we say that when the Torah says the snake is a room, the simple meaning is he was clever. It's not a complimentary kind of cleverness, but he was clever. I think British people use the word clever that way sometimes, right? Well, that's very clever, but it's not a compliment. So where, where's the snake coming from? <laughs> the Torah is telling us that the snake is coming from something to do with nakedness, that this somehow was a bigger issue, and what it was was taiva, desire. Now, it's interesting, because what's the result of the snake's action? Think back to Shiurim, you've heard about the sin in Eden, right? We ate from the tree, and Yetzirah came into us. Yetzirah is always correlated with the snake, right? The snake is like a, an animal, the animal representation, <laughs> right, for Yetzirah. The Yetzirah comes inside of us. We could hear the snake talking outside of us before we ate from the fruit saying, eat, eat. And we're like, no, that would be silly. It would be like somebody standing next to you and says, put your hand into the bonfire. And you'd be like, no. <laughs> Say, put it in. Don't you want to put it in? You'd be like, no, of course I don't want to put it in. It's so obvious how much it will hurt. And it's so clear to me that I will be hurt by this and damaged. I wouldn't do it. That's not tempting. It's just not tempting, at least not in a normal, healthy person. Mm -hmm. right? The Yetzirah was outside of us. And when we eat from the fruit, the Yitzhahara becomes inside of us. Something of the snake does come into us because of taking the snake's advice. No. Or at least the interaction with the snake is probably snake, more accurate. I mean, want some sort of interaction with Eve? Probably. Uh -huh. I definitely wouldn't go there. Yeah, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Just. Yes. Okay. The answer is yes. The snake sees them. Now remember, Adam and Chava, Torah seems to say, are not clothed. And the snake is somehow imbued with this concept of Yetzirah, this concept of desire, and says, I want, like you said, I want that woman. There's, he's, his issue is he's coming from Taiva. That's what's in the snake. 
And when we eat from the fruit, when we go along with his plan, what do we get? We also become a room. It's this it's the adjacency of a room being unclothed. What you have with clothing is a a a sort an almost like a dance, a relationship. What's outside, what's inside? What should be outside, what should be inside? What's private, what's public? I mean, this is obviously the core of Tzniyas, mm -hmm. but there's something very, very fundamental, like it's the fundamental. What should be in and what should be out? So the snake has this kind of awareness of the outside and wants in. When we ingest that influence, all of a sudden, man and his wife are now bare, and they're aware of it. They weren't aware of it before. It wasn't an issue because it was outside. And now it's inside. And now we're, we're messed up people, <laughs> okay? Because we get messed up. What should be inside? What should be outside? What should be visible on the outside? What should be kept to the inside? What should be private? What should be public? What should be personal? What should be shared? Even the word hate, sin, is really related to the word to move something from its proper place. That's what sin is. A sin moves you and your soul from what they should be. The action is removed from what it should be. Tshuva is returning. <laughs> you put it back. You can teach it to your teenage no, girls. How's that? Is so, this is the ikar of understanding this, the concept is. of sin, of right. protection, of inside and outside. It's in, it's, that's it's what it's all about. What it comes out is that's what everything is about. Right. And, and God's response was, what happens at the end? He gave us garments and clothed us. And this is the incredible chesed. Remember, the Talmud told us the Torah begins with chesed and ends with chesed. How does the Torah begin with chesed? God gave them clothes and clothed them. Um. So, one second. Okay, so that, yeah, no, it's okay. So, just, just pulling together what we know from the last few weeks even, right? This idea when we're making the brachos in the morning and we're realizing that there was a distance created, there was a change that happened in Gan Eden, and that a big part of, a big focus of our lives and our actions is striving to achieve reperfection to get closer to Hashem, to get closer to Aden, to the state of Gan Aden, right? This incredible chesed, Hashem clothed us. So we have to explore. We've already hinted to this idea when we said, as the body is clothing for the soul, mm -hmm. the so, um, sorry, as garments are clothing for the body, the body is clothing for the soul, okay? Now, what happens is Hashem gives us something to cover the body now because it wasn't enough. The body clothing the soul now, now there's, now there's a problem because the body is no longer perfect for the job of clothing the soul, right? We said that there's a, there's a disconnect. Rabbi Tatz talks about this. There's a disconnect. There's a misalignment. Was so long as the body was a perfect tool for clothing the soul and wasn't misused, there was nothing to cover. There was no sense of shame. 
Shame comes, this was last week's class, shame comes from an awareness of where we've gone wrong. Shame is the feeling that something is unclothed, that somebody will see my imperfection. Maybe that I'll see it, that somebody else will see it, that God will see it. That's shame. Shame is the feeling that somebody will see where I've gone wrong. Okay, so now if you would look at a person's body, the whole thing, what you see is where we've gone wrong. You see a body where the animal is now ingested, and so it's not f perfectly functioning as a tool on behalf of the soul, right? So it's like an incubator that you put the little, little early, early preemies in an incubator. And to touch them, when you're not kangarooing them, right, you put your hands in gloves that reach in and they let you touch the baby inside, right? Your soul needs gloves, it needs a spacesuit to function in this world. The body is the tool to be able to work in this world, but it's been messed up. The solution is we're going to put a layer over that <laughs> and we'll just show the parts that are working well. This is such a chesed. And so what's the big chesed then? I mean, it's still, it's different. So how does that get us back? Mm -hmm. If what Hashem is going to give us is going to be a tool to help us rectify, do tshuva, come back to where we've been misplaced, where we've misplaced ourselves to, what's the tool? How does the clothing serve as the tool? Okay. So the Gemara says, Arum, or Arum, I'm not sure, Enloboshes, one who is Arum, which could be naked, but, but we've already seen that with the snake it kind of meant sly, right? Enloboshes, has no shame. This is, what does that mean? Now, you can see that it's obviously coming from here. I, I, don't know if it, I don't know if the Gemara's simple meaning is nakedness or slyness. What is nakedness? Or sly, is. like clever. Arum? Arum means... No, you just said one who is naked... Has no shame. Has no shame. Okay. But people who are like that, though, right, they're not chiyav to the mitzvahs. I mean, right? Aren't they? Like, mentally ill. What? What's mentally ill if a person's sly? It usually means he's manipulative, right? Usually you'd say, like, Arum is somebody who, who uses his intelligence to try and benefit himself at the expense of others. I would say that's okay, more or less. I'm still jet lagged. That's so okay. Sorry. We're happy to see you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Adam Shahu Arumea Kavochilo, a person who is naked. This is this is Ruf Pincus' explanation. Person who is naked from his honor, humivuze, is shamed or is in a disgraceful situation. I'm sorry, a person who is a person who's who's had his honor stripped from him, mm -hmm. is in the state opposite of honor. He's disgraced or he's ashamed. He says what this is talking about is telling us about the nature of clothing and their purpose. Clothing expresses a person's honor. We talked about that, right? When you choose the kind of clothing you choose are a decision about your respectability and what you consider to be honorable. Okay, clothing expresses a person's honor, his importance. But in a situation, he <laughs> says, what's, what's with arum and arum? Like, does it mean naked? Or does it mean very clever and sly, manipulative? When a person is very manipulative, when a person is looking at other people 
And he's showing them and telling them that which is, is false. He wants to further his own interests at their expense. He'll tell them anything, right? There's an aspect of real lying there, even though the person might be cleverly choosing his words so they're not actually lies, so that when you take them to court, you can't point to any one word that's really dishonest, but it's dishonest. He says, when a person's like this, he's all chitsonius. It's all external. It's kind of like the beggar and the bogade, right? The clothing and the traitor. So this is the naked and the dishonest. When a person is only outside, when what you see on the outside has no connection with what's really inside. There's no expression in their clothing of what truly is inside of them. Sometimes they make front page news. Then what it means is that his soul, we, we're used to thinking of someone who's a traitor, someone who's dishonest, someone who looks so from and really inside, right? They dress a certain way, everyone should think you could trust them. And really they're dishonest or really they're very, very, you know, selfish or whatever. They have a problem too which is their soul has no expression on the outside. They're smothered. Their soul is smothered, too. He's all body, and you don't see the soul. Like he's too ornate. It's too... Yeah. And what he's saying is when a person is naked, it's the same idea. When a person is physically undressed, the less clothing there is, the less place there is for the soul to express itself to express its sense of kavod, express that there's a spiritual person in there. The less clothing, the less place there is for that expression. So the clothing is the presenting face for the inside, to see inside. A naked person has no boshes, has no shame, because shame is the feeling that I want to hide because I don't want my imperfection to be seen. A person who's completely undressed, they have no sense of wanting to hide, of wanting to cover up that which isn't right. Now, the problem is that we live in a society where the word shame is bad. If you say to someone, oh, you, you, you shouldn't feel ashamed of yourself because you should feel good about yourself. But the truth is, if you feel good about who you are, then when you mess up, you will feel badly. But it doesn't mean that you feel bad about your existence. You feel bad about the action. So you want to fix the action. You want to do tshuva. You want to make amends. You want to pay back. And you do feel ashamed. You know, when you have to go up to someone and say, I hit your car. It's parked outside. I'm really sorry. I'll pay for the damage. That's not a comfortable conversation to have. But it's a conversation that you have when you do feel good about basically who you are. If your feeling is I'm a good person and I'm a person who wouldn't hurt somebody and I'm a person who doesn't hurt somebody on purpose and if I would, I would try and make good on it, I w certainly wouldn't just drive away and let them take the financial hit because of my mistake. But it's embarrassing to have to tell them because I am going to have to reveal where I, what, I, what I did wrong, even if it was by mistake, right? Mm -hmm. so th after I've told it over, it's like whoosh, you know, and you walk away. But the next day, the shame is gone. Huh. You have nothing to be ashamed of anymore, right? So the shame is not, it's not that it's bad by itself. The only reason you would accumulate shame 
Because if you never dealt with it, right? A person who feels no shame is a person who's naked. It's a person who doesn't have anything deeper to cover for. Say that one more time. A person, a person who's, who's naked is a person who has no shame. Meaning, it's a person who has no expression. They're not allowing any expression of their soul to come out. So there's no sense of covering anything because there's no sense that anything could be wrong. When we wear clothing, we're not saying we're bad people. We're not saying there's, um, they say like this, you know, as the Christians would say, some kind of original sin that we can never get rid of and never escape from. This is not our religion, right? What we're saying is, our reality is that our, our physical bodies can lead us wrong. We want to be more than that, and we know we are more than that. And therefore, what we're going to show people and what we want them to relate to is something more meaningful. Okay. Let's, uh, let, let's move on a little bit. What this means then, because we want to wrap around back to this idea of that the correction or the gift that God gave us was clothing. So the Orachayim says, what does it mean when Hashem said, where are you, to Adam? And Adam says, I heard your voice, and I realized I was bare, and I hid. What Adam is expressing is that he and Chava felt that they had come down, that they weren't what they were. They were ashamed to meet God face to face. He, they weren't what he had meant them to be. They weren't what he what they were the last time they spoke with him, right? So Adam says he was, he was embarrassed when he saw himself and realized that he didn't have the Kedusha he had had before. When his eyes were opened and he looked at himself and the Kedusha, the glow of Kedusha, the light of Kedusha wasn't there. He was actually bare. He didn't see that before. So before, previously we said, why didn't he see it before? Because he wasn't aware there was an issue. Body and soul were working in such perfect harmony. There was, no, there was no jolting dissonance to call attention to the fact that the body was bare. Or Haim says, no, no, it was actually bare. There had been something there, and it wasn't. What was there shining through his body and now wasn't? It was a, a level of Kedusha that had been removed from him. And he even expresses that in saying, I heard your voice, but it wasn't a face-to-face -face conversation. There's a step of removal. He hears God's voice circulating in Gan Eden, saying, where are you? You can hear the distance there. That's really different from a conversation, right? Where I say, so, how's it going? That's not to say, where are you? Where are you means I don't see you. We're, we're away from each other. We're trying to get back in touch. That's what where are you means. So by him losing that level, that Kedusha, it's all no of these things together. He has a conversation with Hashem after, but he feels, he can feel, even in that conversation, there's a distance. That This is a tremendous loss. This is it's tragic. To feel, and, and we all feel it. The difference is that we don't necessarily have a strong sense of what it was like before so that in the correction, it's more difficult for us to even know what we're aiming back for. Mm -hmm. it's like the, right? yeah, our, our this, we think this is normal. Yeah. <laughs> we think this is normal to live. 
like this, but this is, right? So, but, but we do get a sense of it. We do have moments of inspiration where we can at least feel, if not what Adam felt, but we can at least feel what it's like to feel more connected to God and have that to strive to as we go along in our lives. Hopefully we get stronger and stronger flashes of that, moments of that, days of that, and try and, try and stick to it. So I understood, says Adam, that I was lower and that I was bare of something. And before, I didn't realize how good it was. It's the contrast now that makes me realize what has happened. Okay. Now. Can I ask you a question? Why wasn't that correctable? It is. It's correctable. But why couldn't Adam Achava correct it and go back to the state of perfect harmony? It's, you know, it's taking us a long, you know, it's taking us time and we have to work on it to, to work right. towards getting that Adam wasn't time. sure. At the beginning, he thought it couldn't be corrected altogether. It was only much later that he realized you could do teshuva and actually correct something, no matter how big it was. So he did do teshuva. Um, but why, your, your question is different. Your question is, why couldn't they get back to where they were? Right. Okay, so this is a very deep idea, a very fundamental idea. I'm just watching the clock. I'm thinking, okay, where are we going to I wasn't really sp planning to spend another week on Moby Sherman, but there's no harm in it. It's okay with me. You know, there's all important ideas. These are very important because these apply everywhere. You know, it's not just this one bracha, which would also be worthwhile, but these are ideas that underlie everything. Okay, why couldn't we get back to where we were? The Gemara says, "B'makom shebali tshuva omdim, in tzadikim gemurim yecholim lamod." In the place where bali tshuva stand, perfect, the perfectly righteous people can't stand there. Now that means that where bali tshuva stands, his place, in some way, is even higher. A tzadik gamor, a completely righteous person, cannot reach the level that a bali tshuva can reach. So, a very, very simplistic conceptualization of that. If I have a piece of string, and I hold it like this, and my string is hanging down, and it reaches to here, right? And then the string, I cut it. Now I'm going to knot it back together. Now this will all be higher. Yeah? I, that was a really bad conceptualization I just gave you. You have to do it from the bottom or something. I don't know. Right? <laughs> the bottom of it will be higher, whatever, right? Because where you've knitted it together, it's stronger, right? Just like bones, they knit back together, they're stronger. But it also raises you up to a higher level. Let's take that to something that's more the other extreme. I think we spoke about this Rosh Hashanah time, but I'm not sure. Everything is in the hands of heaven except fear of heaven. In other words, my relationship with God, my awe of God, that's under my control. Everything else God is controlling, not me. Which means Hashem gave me the ability to make choices and to choose. The results of the choices I really don't have so much control over, right? I decide I'm going to go shopping and it um, doesn't always work out. Mm -hmm. I decide I'm going to help somebody, it doesn't always work out. I decide I'm going to hurt somebody, it doesn't always work out. Right? I don't really have control over outcomes. We all know that. We only have control. Sorry? Or daven for somebody. Or daven for somebody. Any okay. effort. It can be spiritual or physical. I choose to make the effort, and it may or may not pan out the way I thought it should. 
that God has it under his control, which is a good thing, because if I were in charge, we'd be in very, very big trouble. When I use, if I would listen to God, because I have to, because I didn't have free choice, like an animal maybe, right? Maybe even we could go so far as to say like Adam and Chava before the sin, mm -hmm. where it's not, really, it's not really free choice in the sense that it wasn't really such an option to choose something wrong, right? If I don't have the option of choosing something wrong, the fact that I chose right it doesn't have much meaning. It's nice, but it doesn't mean very much. Correct. Now, everything is in the hands of heaven except my fear of heaven. So the one thing I have control over is what I choose. Do I want to do for God? And how much do I really want it? That's in my control. What the results of that will be, not so much. <laughs> but that's in my control. Come Rosh Hashanah time, we talk about saying Hashem is king, making Hashem king. What does it mean making Hashem king? Because any ruler can come in and say, I'm stronger than you, you will do as I say. And if he really is stronger than you, you'll do as he says. You may not want it, though. You may resent it. When there's a king, when the Torah talks about a king, a melech, that means, yechi ha-melech, long live the king. It means people cheering for the king. It means saying, we want you. Now, once we have you, we really have to do whatever you say. They don't have a choice. The person who, who uh, rebels against the king is Chayav Misa. Now, you can't, you can't rebel, but you, but you want him. If you were a vote, you would vote for him. Because you do know that he's, he's, he's a good leader. He's a good melech. When we make Hashem king, what we're doing is using our choice to say Hashem is king, rather than just following along that he's king. We're choosing. We're saying, if I could choose, I choose you. It's part of the avodah of Shema every day, is even that. But in a big, big way on Rosh Hashanah. Mm -hmm. OK. We said, if I don't have the option of choosing what's wrong, then the fact that I chose what's right wouldn't have so much meaning. There's something that has even more meaning than that. Okay, So at the level of, I could choose to do wrong, but I chose right, that's a tzaddik gamor. Let's say somebody who does that all the time, he's perfectly righteous. <clears throat> gamor means like complete. What if I did choose wrong? That proves that I really had choice. <laughs> if I choose wrong and then I choose to do tshuva, which means I have shame. It's a hard conversation to have, right? It's even harder sometimes than telling somebody you hit their car. And I go back and I say, I chose wrong, and that was wrong, and now I want to make it good. I want to choose right coming through the fact that I chose wrong. That kind of choosing right, that kind of choosing God, I think I rebelled against you, and I want to come back in. Please let me come back. Please let me do, serve you, please. That means a lot more, even than choosing what's right all along. You can see how it does, right? Okay, I didn't make this up. This I heard from Rabbi Tatz. In the place where a balchuva stands, okay, doing chuva means you change your will. Akira Ramchal says. It means you go back to the place, to the, to the mental space you were in when you chose wrong, and you change what you wish. I wish I had never done that. If I could go back in time and catch myself there and say, no, no, here's how you're going to feel after. Think about what you're doing. I would choose what's right. That's tshuva. 
That's why the ultimate aspect of tshuva is when you can face the same situation and not do it again. Because you've changed your will. You've changed the Yerushamayim. Hakobi the Yerushamayim chutz Yerushamayim, right? You have, when you change that, you get to a higher place. Adam and Chava, according to many opinions, cognitively, intellectually, without any taiva, chose to do wrong in order to be able to choose to do right. Mm. We don't have to go there right now. It's one very, mm. very important way of understanding what happened in Gan Eden. So when you ask, why couldn't it be fixed? You know what the answer is? It could be fixed. It could be fixed. And when it's fixed, which is a world we call Yemos HaMashiach and Olam Haba, and we get back to perfection, we're not getting back to exactly where we came from. The world actually will come back to where it was, and yet qualitatively higher. Because b'makom shebalei tshuva omdim ein sadikim gemurim yecholim lamod. Yeah. Understand? There is a world process we're in. I, from the point of Adam and Chava, they had free choice. But it's possible that from the point of view of creation, this was inevitable. Because we exist to be mamli Hashem, to choose God. He's got all these other creations, including Malachim, who could be perfect. But the whole value of a human is the fact that we mess up and try and fix it. That's the value we bring to this project. We mess up, and we feel shame, and we want better, and we want to get close back to God. And you know what? When we get back, we're not where we were before. It's even better. But it's a very painful process. As you know, if you've ever had a strained relationship with someone, and then through hard work and a lot of love and good intention, gotten to a better place. It is not easy. It is not comfortable. It could be very painful. But where you get to is, in fact, better than where you started. That's the process of the world. This is profoundly involved with the role of a woman. But that's not our topic for today, <laughs> right? Because we cause the sin, but we're also the source of all redemption. Mm -hmm. All right, so a little bit.